yeah, it sounds great. Okay. Eddie Sorry, Eft. I'm doing. What are you doing? I'm just putting this in a file so it's not on my Zoom because I always have this fear of losing. Oh, file. yeah. You have a lot of fears, though, don't you? I do. Are we starting the show like this? Yeah. This, you cold start like this. You, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is ice cold. I just, yeah. You go I, you right know, into it. There's no warning. Um, Zero dark 30. I'm a, I'm weirdly, I'm not afraid of some things mm -hmm. that most people would be. Mm -hmm. Not afraid of sharks. I surf every day. I've been swimming with sharks in the cage with them in South Africa. But yet, I'm afraid of an elevator. An elevator. An elevator. That's why you're on the third floor. We're, we're recording in Eddie Ift's uh, room. Eddie Ift is a comedian. And uh, we're on the third floor. I'm on the 13th. Yeah. Ooh. We're performing at the Comedy Cellar. There's, I, wouldn't, I would never want to be on the 13th floor. See, I'm I, not su that superstitious, but 13th floor is creepy. That is creepy. I never thought about that. I forgot how... It's uh, very creepy. ...dangerous it is. Well, here's how creepy... Did I, so I told you about... The fact that I woke up yesterday to the window washer. Oh, out. did I no tell you, you that? Didn't. So, yesterday morning, I, I hear this banging, and I, I think it's in my sleep. Like I'm like, oh, this is a weird dream. Yeah. And I open my eyes, and I have my curtains completely open. Of course, there's this window washer all tattooed <laughs> up, long gangly hair, sunglasses <laughs> on, earphones in, and he is washing. My window. Just look at and and I can't, I don't know if he's staring at me because he got his dark sunglasses on and I'm still laying in bed and I sleep naked. Ah. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, what if I was a woman? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good what point. What if I was a woman? Can they see through these, do you think? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's see through. It you has to be. You sure? Because it's like you know, gold actually, plated on the outside. I never thought about that. Maybe he can't see it. Maybe look how we can't see him there. But if you're close enough, yeah, you, you can probably see. can. See? Yeah, that's 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 the perfect pervert job. And even if it's just like they it's, can't they can't get in trouble. They're like, I was just doing my job. Yeah, he can't. But I'm like, hey, give me a phone call. Warner brother. Let me know. There's might there might be some dude hanging outside your window washing the window. <laughs> there might be. Like, you, you don't know what your fear is until you encounter. <laughs> so, and so that's your fear. Uh, what now? Where did your fear of heights start? Uh, it's not heights. It's it's what it's actually it? it's called it's, a, it's called it's called clethrophobia. 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 It's a fear of clits. Okay. No, it's a fear of uh, <laughs> it's a it's a fear of uh, being trapped. Being so elevators. Elevators suck. Uh, roller coasters right. with the bar that comes down and locks you into place. Oh, I don't like that sound either. That sucks. I'm trying to think of other things. Can you do cryotherapy? You know how they put you in a chamber? You know, I don't believe in cryotherapy, okay. so I wouldn't do it because I, I, long story, but uh, I just don't think it's very good for you. I mean, well, we have time. We just started the, the podcast. Uh, so, I mean, we're all experts now that we have podcasts and we get these people on that are experts. It's like reading a book and you know everything. Uh, I had a guy on, Dr. Gary Reinel, who... Um, debunks the rest ice compression elevation thing right. and basically says whenever you're injured, the best thing to do is uh, movement. You want to decongest the area instead of, uh, instead of uh, putting ice or compression or anything. So the whole idea of icing an area that's inflamed, why would you want to stop the inflammatory process? Mm. You want to allow that inflame, but you can speed it up. You can speed up the inflammatory process, but the, 
to dilate or whatever the blood vessels so that they constrict them so that the blood's not getting why would you do that i mean i i do understand it in some sense of like quick bursts of it to like you know stop the blood blood in blood out that i i'm no doctor and I don't know any of this shit. You know, I just listen to guys that are experts and then I basically take their theories on for a while till somebody will debunk that. And then I just ride that wave for a while. So that's why I wouldn't do cryotherapy. But um, MRIs are scary. Oh, yeah. That clinking, banging. I had an MRI on my neck. I've heard a lot terrifying. of people. They said to me when I went to get the MRI, I've had a couple. And I went in and the, the woman giving it to me goes, uh, are you claustrophobic? And no one really knows about cleithrophobia. They just think it's claustrophobia. Right. So I just go, yeah. And she goes, scale 1 to 10, what are you? And I go, 12. I'm a 12. And she goes, okay. So we go in. She goes, look, we're going to try this one. We're going to see how it works, blah, blah, blah. At any time you need to come out, you let me know. So they start putting me in. And I was okay with it. But then they put this thing. It was my elbow. They put my elbow in this, like, rubber thing. And then I couldn't move. Mm. And I was, like, stuck in there. And I just went, no, 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 out, 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 out. And she's like, what? I'm like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And she goes, huh? And I go, yeah, just I, I, I can't do it. She goes, well, we have a much bigger MRI machine that we could put you in, but it's being used right now. And I go, I told you I was a 12. Yeah. Like, what number did I have to be for you to put me in the bigger MRI machine? And she goes, well, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. I'm like, see you tomorrow. So I come back the next day. They put me, <laughs> they put me in the MRI machine. I'm singing. I've got all these, like, techniques I'm doing to, like, I'm telling them to crank up the music because they play music for you. I'm like, yeah. crank it up. Crank it up. 80s, 80s dance songs. Anything that will keep my mind off this. So I get through it. And I say to the woman afterwards, I go, how bad was I? I go, how bad of a patient was I? And she goes, you weren't bad at all. I thought you say you're a 12. She goes, you didn't even need the drugs. And I go, what drugs? drugs? Yeah. I go, what drugs? I told you I was a 12. What the hell's wrong with you? I go, I, I, you put me in the small one. You didn't give me the drugs. I didn't know that this could be easier. And she goes, oh, yeah, most people need drugs. She's like, you did it well. And I'm like, lady. So... Then I tell a buddy of mine, is it recording? Then I tell a buddy of mine, I've done that so many times where I'm recording a podcast. I'm like, uh, guys, I'm sorry. We just did an hour and uh, I didn't record. Uh, I tell a buddy of uh, a friend of mine's blind, uh, he, straight on. He can't. Brian McCarthy, he's on the Kevin Brennan podcast. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he's like, I'm so bad at MRIs. He's like, I have that like fear. He goes, they had to send me to this guy called the MRI Whisperer. Come on. He said there's a guy in New York City who, like, people that can't get in the MRI, they go see this guy, and he talks you through the whole thing. Because I guess Brian's, because it was ocular, uh, they had to put, a, a like, a cage on his face because they've got an MRI, you know, his head, and it has to be, like, perfectly still. And, and Brian was like, they put me on Valium, Percocet. You know, like he took every drug you could take. To he's like, I think I drank two bottles of wine on the way there. Um, yeah, so I'm now, not that bad. Now, what does the MRI whisperer do? Do you know? Like, what I is? I think he just talks you through it, and the guy's like just an expert at dealing. You know, it's like the dog whisperer. He basically talks down your anxiety. Well, now, last night when we got um, uh, 
We got some late night burgers last night, some late night patties. I would say burgers, but we got it without the bun. They were awful. They. <laughs> but you know what? Well, you had the barbecue sauce, yeah. right? To me, barbecue sauce makes everything better. Yeah, it does make it a, a little bit better. But we're staying at the Rio, and that I had some Dio Rio today. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> you know, I will tell you when I woke up this morning, my. I woke up and I felt fine, and then I went hiking. Oh, and on my way out to Red Rocks, my stomach was grumbling for about How 10 minutes. How far did you hike? Uh, I did three miles in, uh-huh. and then, uh, you know, three by three, uh, I yeah. did I did a little three-mile run on the treadmill this morning because I was like, I got to do something before this. I had to go do the TV show to... You got to get moving, man. Yeah. Before you, you got before you start sitting all day. Yeah. And then, you, then the show at night sucks. Yeah. If I put off working out, I there's a good chance I won't do it. If I don't work out first thing in the morning, mm. here, no, at home with a kid, right? I will not, w- once she gets going, it's over. And if I try, I have a gym at my house, mm-hmm. if I try to work out with her there, mm. and I'm like, here, Izzy, you play on this? No, it's not happening. What, because uh, you, you, you have a daughter. I have a four-year-old. You have a four-year-old daughter, and you're married. Yeah. Now, uh, going back to the uh, dog whisper, uh, or you know the the MRI whisper, and then we got into the dog whisper last night. We were talking about th- how you went to go see the dog whisper. Yeah, I used to dra- date this crazy girl. She actually lives here now in Vegas. Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> she was crazy. Did she live here? Or she did. She follow you here? No, she <laughs> lived here. I I was an idiot. She was a she was a stripper, and I dated her. And there, somebody should write a book called "Never Date a Stripper." Because it's just, it. You you start thinking like, oh, I'm I'm getting this girl that other guys would pay for, but in the long run, you pay more than all those guys combined, and they just manipulate you and everything. So you know, she started out with one dog, and the next thing you know, we had like eight dogs living in the house. You know, she was one of those like they're, they're like crazy cat women, you know, but with dogs. So she had. She just rescued dogs one after another after another. And so one day she tells me, she's like, I'm going to the dog whisperer. I paid like $200 to go to his seminar. And she's like, I bought you a ticket. And I'm like, I don't want to go. And she's like, come on, come with me. It's going to be great. And I'm like, and I'm thinking it's going to be like, like a show, like an hour and a half. It was a seminar. It was an all day thing. And I was like, I, I got enough. I I know everything I need to know about dog psychology now. And And what did you learn? Uh, Because we're talking about how you applied it to your daughter also, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I did. I didn't have a dog at the time, so I was like, yeah. Well, I didn't have a kid either, but, uh, you know, so you tell your kid to sit, stay, roll over. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, uh, I, uh. You know, it's don't hit your dog, don't hit your kids. It's very simple. Violence creates violence. Right. Uh, uh, aggression creates aggression. Yeah. Uh, you know, the calmer you are with them, the calmer they'll be. Your your energy that you show, like, energy mirrors em- energy. Yeah. And yeah. so if someone's aggressive towards you, it's going to give you anxiety and you're going to get aggressive. If somebody's calm and soothing to you, they're going to calm down. So it's very simple to do with a child. You know, people, people, even like when my kid, not that I'm any expert with kids or anything, but what I learned with my own kid was when she would throw a tantrum or get in that phase of like, 
because it happens with babies when they just cry and cry and you can't you do everything you feed them you burp them you change them you try everything and they're still upset a lot of parents lose their fucking mind and it's hard not to but i would change my mindset when that would happen and i would treat it like going on a run or something like most people go oh this is awful and i go i'm enjoying this like i'm enjoying the pain i would say like make an agreement in my brain that i was like this is hilarious my kid can't stop crying and rather than lose my patience i'm just like this is what children do and i'm not going to let this affect me and change me and cause me to fly off the handle so i would just and my wife was not as good i mean she's good my wife's a good mom but she was not as good at handling that and she'd be like why are you smiling you know like this is terrible and i'd be like if you make it terrible like if you i was like i'd rather it not be terrible so i've like convinced myself it's not when you realize how ridiculous it is, yeah. the, the, the throwing of the clothes, the yeah. stomping of the yeah. feet, yeah. the crying, it, it's almost like you're, you're watching a show. It's, it's yeah. almost entertaining. I, at this point, now that she's older and when that stuff happens, it takes every bit of me to not laugh at her mm. when she's doing it because it's not good if right. I was laughing at her face. Right, you don't want to encourage it. I don't want to encourage it, and I also don't want – it's insulting to her if I was like, ha, 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 you're, you're – you're upset. Yeah, your right. your emotions. You can't control mm. them, and you don't know why. But at the same time, I do find it a bit amusing, just because we all go through it. It's part of life, and I'm like, <laughs> it's she does some funny shit when she's throwing it. I'll hear her. She'll go to her room, you know, because I'll give her time out or something, mm. and she'll be like, "You're the worst dad in the whole world," <laughs> and I'll have to like, you know, because. Two minutes later, she's like, I love you, Dad, so much. And so I just have to stop from, like, can't smile, can't laugh. And my wife and I both will be like, you know, just trying to Because it Because that's how kids think, right? They're yeah. so dramatic. It's like, you're the worst. My life is over. <laughs> this will, this will, it'll never end. Or even the even if in a positive, I'll love you forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the, you mean so yeah. much. And yeah. And it's just, it's like a ebb and flow. I don't think I've ever grown up because I use superlatives a lot too. I'll be like, this is the best restaurant I've ever eaten. <laughs> I'm like Captain Superlative of like, and my sister used to be like an exaggerator buster. I'd be like, oh my God, I saw the hottest girl I've ever seen today on the subway. And she'd be like, was she the hottest Eddie? Was she like a supermodel? Was she like a swimsuit model? Or was she a... Was she a Victoria's Secret model? Was it one of those? Was it the hottest girl ever? Or was it just like a pretty actress? Or was it like a girl that just like walks down the street? And I'd be like, why, why do you have... <laughs> why you had to get all specific? I, I, I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, I drank like I drank like 50 beers last night. My wife would be like, or my sister would be like, 50? Was it really 50 or was it more like six or seven? Was it seven or eight? How many? Because it wasn't 50. You didn't have 50 beers. So I'm like... Why do you have to bust my exaggeration? <laughs> yeah, why can't everything? we have fun with this? Yeah. It felt like 50. Yeah, yeah. Why can't you validate yeah. I'm my I'm into feelings? hyperbole. Don't you get that? <laughs> I need attention. I I exaggerate circumstances so people pay attention to me. <laughs> I uh you know, I, I was detained in Pakistan yeah. briefly. I know. 
and uh, and even that is an exaggeration. You know, like they just briefly pulled me off to a, yeah. uh, the side, and they were like rummaging through my bags. But every time I tell the story, it's always like ten security guys came over, or yeah. you know, it's like twenty or thirty, because that's what it feels like. Who did you go to Pakistan with? Um, you know, um, comedy masala. Okay, did you you didn't go with Lachlan though? No. Oh, so I was the one who referred Lachlan to go there. Okay, so you went with Carmen. I went with uh, no. You talking about Carmen Lynch? Yeah. No, I went with uh, actually the the two guys I went with. I didn't. I'd never met, never heard of. One was from Canada, and another one was from Scotland. Okay, so um, Why, can happened? you swear on your podcast? Yeah. You're a fucking psychopath. I, who, me? Yeah. Why would you go to Pakistan? <laughs> I've been all over the world. I would never, ever, 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 ever go to Pakistan. <laughs> like, There's... the only advantage you have is that you're black. Like, that is the only thing that's making you, like, 2% less vulnerable than me. But, like, you just go, I went with a Canadian, yeah. and I went with a Scottish guy. Yeah. Yeah. They're fine. You're an American with an American passport. You're out of your fucking mind. I have like a a, a band list of where I don't travel. You know, how like yeah. Trump tried to make this like band list right. of people that can't come into the. I mine pretty much goes with a lot of their countries. I won't go there. <laughs> I've been to the Middle East like five times. I've been to a lot of. There are countries I will not go back to. And there's countries that I will never see in my lifetime, probably. Like Pakistan looks like a beautiful place. So does beautiful. So does uh, beautiful. Uh, uh, Afghanistan. But I won't be there, especially as a civilian, like not with the military. You psychopath. Yeah, I was there for ten days, and, and truly a psychopath. Um, but you know, here. So we were talking about fears in the beginning, and yours is uh, a clethrophobia. You yeah. said. My fear is dying on the couch. I have a de- I have a fear of it's dying. It's not the bed. It's, it's not the, the bed. It's the couch. Because growing up, I, I I don't know. I always watched a lot of television, <coughs> and there was always you know you watch these cop shows or whatever, and it was always a scene where like uh, the man is like he's watching TV from the couch, and then his wife goes in the kitchen to grab something. She comes back and he's dead. And I was I always thought that was so sad. It was such a sad way. That's one to of the most. Ir- that's one of the most irrational fears I've ever it's, heard. It is, but but I so I think like I wake up every morning with like this slight panic attack of I have to do something because I don't want to die. Yeah. Like not doing it. It was like if I die in Pakistan, great story. I'm all about like oh that'll be interesting. That'll be a great story. And also like I want to find out for myself what. What's going on? You know, because there's so much you read in the news and that you hear about from other people. And and I think that stops a lot of people from exploring things. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, more than that, like you, you find out for yourself and you're like, like I saw the movie The Intruder. They got slammed in the in the by the critics. They got like 25%. But you liked it. I loved it. Yeah. It was such a great time. Yeah. But it's because of the people I was with. At uh, Pakistan, beautiful, best ice cream. Really? I've, and the Scottish guy and the Canadian guy, we all said the same thing. Best, and I know we talk about superlatives, best ice cream. We could not stop eating. Really? And here's why. It's made, we found out, it's made with, with camel's milk. Oh, camel milk. Yeah, yeah. I've had camel milk. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say goat milk. 
Uh, no, well, here's what I found out about, because I asked him, I was like, why don't you guys use goat milk? And he said, goat milk is great if uh, you're doing day-to-day stuff. Camel's milk is what you want to drink if you're uh, going on a longer journey, because hmm. it has more uh, n- uh, minerals and nutrients wow. than goat's milk. So goat milk, if you're not if you're not going to overextend yourself, but camel's milk, long My, my daughter has only drank goat's milk her whole life. Wow. Because... Uh, we've, I have her on not a strict diet, like, but I just try to stay away from processed foods. Yep. And one of the things I try to stay away from is dairy. And, uh, when I was reading on milk, cause you know, they need milk growing up. And, um, one of the things I read was that there's two caseinates in milks, caseinate A and caseinate B. Mm-hmm. And the one that makes people lactose intolerant, I could be wrong. Like when I researched this, I made this reasoning of why i did it I, you might get somebody email you going he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about i that's my fear of podcasts all the time that i say something with such authority and then there's somebody who knows better than me that's gonna like send me that tweet or that instagram message telling me how wrong i am but i hear people that are wrong on podcasts all the time and i let it go <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to show them I know better than them. But anyways, I'm, I'm, if I'm mistaken, I don't know which one it is, but goat milk has the one that people aren't really allergic to gotcha. and doesn't cause all right, the right, right. shit. And I don't believe in, like, I'm not a big believer in peanut allergy. Like, I believe you expose yourself to a lot of that shit. But I also think there's foods we're supposed to eat and foods we're not supposed to eat. And um, so I try to keep her on, you know, just start her out eating good foods as a kid yeah because what are you what diet are you you doing a ketogenic diet i i always say the guy that i listen to there's a guy named dylan Farr, physiologic on instagram and um dylan is all about nutrient dense food so he's not you know it's very high in in protein very high in fat very low in in starchy carbohydrates but very high in cruciferous vegetables so like eat tons of broccoli eat tons of carbohydrates eat tons of cauliflower eat tons of like lettuce and you know mixed greens and you know spinach and kale and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but stay stay a little low on the sweet potatoes and the you know the starchier ones and and stay away from like wheat and all that you know so it's it's kind of paleo Right. It's a, it's like a derivative of paleo and keto and and uh, yeah, I would say it's it's that. No, it makes sense, man. Because I, I tell you what, I I was doing an, uh, a blood type B diet. I, yeah. was, I was doing an eat right for your blood type right, kind right. of thing. And um, and when you look at the list of foods, it was just it was nutrient dense foods. Yeah. It was lamb, bison, yeah. elk. Yeah. It was a game meat if yeah. you're a blood type B. Yeah. Um, and then your dark leafy greens, of course, because yeah. uh, you know I've. Had did it did it sleeping. say did it say organ meat too? Uh, organ meat uh, is in there uh, specifically. It wanted me to eat liver, liver but liver. I hate. So it's I think hard to find I think that's what liver. we're all missing. We are is organ meat, yep. and I would hope it sucks because there's no more butchers. But right. like West Hollywood used to have a butcher, and I used to go there to get this fifty fifty. It was half half ground beef, half bacon, mm-hmm. grass fed ground beef, and like really good bacon minced together and made in like. Yeah, you make a burger, like the fattiest burger. So I wish there were still butchers like that because I've read from a lot of the guys I study, you'll say, uh, go get 
Like you need that organ meat. That organ meat's so good for you, but it's it's terrible. It tastes gross. So go in and get three quarters ground beef and a quarter ground liver. Wow. Mix it together and you won't know it. That's you know, and you know you can find an, uh, a butcher is at the farm at the at the Grove. Oh, they've got a farmers market there. They got a farmers they got a butcher? market. I got rabbit from there. Really? I had no idea how good that rabbit? they had uh, rabbit. So good. Is it? I put it in my crock pot. Uh, and uh, they're too cute. I couldn't eat it. There's this guy, uh, uh, Chef Colin, uh, Brian yeah. Callen, We both know uh, uses them to cater his uh, his uh, parties and stuff. Brian has and parties. I've never been invited. What a no, dick! No, I wouldn't say parties. A little a intimate dick. gatherings. What a dick! <laughs> Unbelievable. It's because I'm not big enough in Hollywood for him. Yeah. I guarantee everyone at those intimate gatherings of Brian Callen is more famous than him. Well, yeah, that's where I met uh, Chris Ryan, uh, the guy who yeah, Doctor Doctor Ryan. And, uh, uh, oh, you went to people. one of these intimate gatherings? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What a oh, dick! He, he, well, look, you know he has to have his token black friend. You know, up, I've right? known Brian for how many years? Forever, <laughs> forever, twenty three years. And I like I call him with my problems. Like we talk back, and I've never been invited to one of these intimate gatherings. Where, where did your irrational? Uh, irrational. Where'd your fear of trap places stem so from? What happened? I've like I've researched it because I've tried. I've tried a lot to get. I've tried everything to get rid of it, short of going to a therapist. You have not gone. Never to gone therapist. to a therapist. I've gone to a hypnotist, which was a joke. Um, the hypnotist paralyzed me. Pa- like what? I got. I got hypnotized. I did everything because I really wanted to get rid of this. We were going to. My wife and I were on our way to India. I had to do gigs in India. We were going to India, and it was like 24 hours of flying. Then we were coming home. Then we were flying to the Maldives, which was right near India. So two trips of like 24, 24, oh. 28, oh. 20. And I was like, all that time on planes. And, I, and at that time, it was affecting me flying, too. And uh, I... I went to see this hypnotist. My wife was like, go see it. And the hypnotist is like talking me through it. And she's like, okay, now at this point, your arms are very heavy. They're very heavy. They're so heavy, you can't lift them. You can't move your arms. And I'm like, she's like, now we're going to think about what it is that you're afraid. And I'm like, you just fucking trapped me. I'm trapped in my own body right now. And I'm like, you just did what I didn't want to do that I'm afraid of. And so when she brought me out of it, I was like, see ya. And I just like stormed out of her house. And she called my wife. She's like, "Um, does he want to come back for his next appointment? I was like, he's not coming anywhere near you. (laughs) Like, you basically just did what he's afraid of to him. So You should have been like, you're expanding. You're you're out in the field. So I've, I've read. I'm. Like I told you last night, I'm a pragmatist. I like to, I almost feel like I bring problems on in my life so that I can solve them. And uh, I don't always want them. But when they show up, I'm like, all right, I got this shit. Because I can't, I can't be one of those people that lives, and I've been living with this one the longest. This is like 10, 15 years or something. I don't know, 20. I remember when Burt Kreischer, we were getting on an elevator in Cincinnati. And uh, Burt goes, wait, I didn't ride the elevator the first time, but then I rode it, and Burt goes, why why wouldn't you ride it, but now you'll ride it? And I go, well, I just don't want to be alone 
in there because it's about being trapped and being alone. And mm. and uh, I go, I need someone to talk to. And uh, but it's gone beyond that. Um, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. But uh, going back to, uh, I lost my train of thought. But it was something about. Oh, so um, there's a thing called exposure therapy, right. apparently, and I could take it. But I started reading into it, and I found some guy that works with, like, all these people got trapped in elevators in uh, in New York City during, like, a power outage. Mm -hmm. And all, it freaked all these people out, and they all needed therapy afterwards. So this guy was, like, the expert at it. So I read what he did, and I just started applying that. And I guess I didn't do the work enough because I just – I haven't – like, I really should because I got anxiety for about two years of my life. And uh, on and off, and it just started getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was a period of my life, it was probably about seven years ago, and I just read everything I could about anxiety. And I talked to a friend who was going to get me a therapist, because she is a therapist. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll find you the best therapist, blah, blah. But I just, and I, I know there's a lot of people out there that suffer from it and, it, and it's debilitating at some point. Mine was... I was having panic attacks, like horrible panic attacks out of the blue. Um, and I'm, I'm maybe this only works for me. Maybe it couldn't work for other people, but I did cure it that I don't have anxiety anymore. And I, I don't have panic attacks at all. Could I have one? Possibly. If I got stuck in an elevator, it could happen. Uh, there's moments I've been in scary situations, but that's natural. That's, the fight or flight is natural in a fearful situation. Mm -hmm. But uh, I focused on how I was going to stop these panic attacks. And I like I really went to work on it and I did it. And I know a lot of people have it. And I even felt like at one point, like it was so bad when I had it that when I cured it, I felt sort of an obligation to like maybe write a book or something or tell people how I did this and maybe other people can do what I did to stop the anxiety from happening. And, uh, but whatever I did, it worked or maybe it just went away on its own, but it did go away. And I felt like it was a spiral when it started happening. It was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I finally had to just stop. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I can't handle this anxiety. I've never thought about suicide. I've never contemplated or said I would rather be dead or I'm going to commit suicide. But there were times during the anxiety that I was like, I think being dead would be a better feeling than this because it was so bad. You just want the pain to stop. Yeah, the adrenaline just yeah. rushing through my body was just not a natural, like it was a, it was a horrendous feeling. And, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly scientifically how I did it. I know what I did, and it worked, and it worked for me. I don't know if it would work for anyone else, but I'm, I'm glad I fucking got rid of it. It sucked. What? Because, uh, because it, back it started to bring – I've never been depressed ever. It started to bring depression because the anxiety, they kind of went hand in hand, where the anxiety brought depression because I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't know when I'm going to get another one of these attacks. It's just, you know, it's ruining everything. And I've had a lot of friends, tons and tons. And I am starting to believe 
that everyone experiences anxiety or panic attacks at one point or another in their life. And it's just something we all experience. What, what, uh, what were those, at, at, at its worst, what were the sensations? Because um, there, there are people who are listening who are probably having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and they don't know what it is because they just, some people just don't know what so, their body's doing. Right, and so it's funny, it's, it's a difficult thing to describe. It's like describing being high. Or right. being drunk, gotcha. you know, it's it's difficult to describe because it's like a sensation inside your body that, and I hear people loosely use that term panic attack. They're like, oh my God, it was crazy. I had a panic attack. I'm like, you didn't have a panic attack. You don't know what a panic attack is. And uh, I call it a panic attack, and my definition might even be wrong, is because you go into fight or flight basically for no reason. Because we've all had that stimulation or that of of when you are about to fight it's not a good feeling that adrenaline rush that goes in i used to get in fist fights as a kid it's a horrible feeling but it's what makes you rise to that occasion and and puts your body every bit of awareness is like every nerve in your body is kind of on alert and the other way is when you're you know somebody comes around a corner and goes boo you know and you, that tiny second is like you get that burst of adrenaline, yeah. but that would go for sometimes 10 minutes or 20 minutes. So it's that, that horrible instant feeling you have for five minutes, whatever length it is, it feels like an it eternity. It feels for, like it's forever. In eternity. Yeah. And I read somewhere, I don't know if this is right, that your adrenal glands can only basically give off about an hour of adrenaline. Mm. So if you're having a panic attack, one of the best things to know is that it can only last for an hour. And after an hour, it's like, because when it's happening, it seems endless. It's like, when is this gonna stop? Oh, is this, is this ever gonna stop? And uh, it, knowing that is, is kind of comforting to go, oh, okay, what the very worst. I go wash some dishes, do the, some laundry. I got one hour of this. But it's hard to get yourself to do physical stuff. It is. That's that's You're a right. way that's a way out of them. Yeah. You know, get down and do some push ups. Yeah. And uh and you can knock it knock it out. Yeah, no. what were your tactics? You, you said you, you did so, some things to work. So I it. I read that there's basically triggers. There's things that that you don't even realize that start sometimes you don't even know them. They're subconscious that will start the 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 um not the synapse, uh, that, that basically is the trigger that sends from your brain down your, your uh, neuropathways to your, to your uh, adrenal glands and basically says, hey, time to fucking fire. Mm -hmm. You know, like send, send out some adrenaline and, and it goes. And the more you do it and the more you think about it, almost like it's like a tunnel. Those, those neural pathways are getting bigger and bigger and mm. bigger, and it's easier for the synapses to like travel or acts on. I don't know. I'm not a biologist or don't know my physiology that well, um, but it makes it easier for them to travel up and down. And so it was like my nerves were like working a muscle, and in my mind I had to tighten that muscle up. That muscle was too loose and letting everything fly. Mm. And I had to strengthen that muscle and tighten it up, which was like stop the downward spiral. So um, when it started to happen, 
I had all kinds of things. Like I would keep in my wallet a little card that was like all these different things that I could do that would count backwards from 100. Do this. Because in the beginning, I, without even knowing any of this stuff, I would go in my, I'd just open up my phone and start looking through stuff and try to focus on something. I'd be like, look at pictures of my family. Uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, do math problems or do something that would, and I didn't even realize I was doing it on my own, but I was doing anything I could to calm it down. One of my triggers was when a plane would land and they'd say, uh, hey, we're sitting here. We don't have a gate open. And I'd just be like, oh, my God. Or I'd go, what if they just can't get the door open and we're stuck in here and we're trapped mm -hmm. in here? Or, you know, we'd sit on a runway. How long are we going to sit on this runway? And um, it, so I just started, like, tightening that muscle. And so I would do something physical to myself. Like, like you know, like, I'd even say in my head, I'd just do a big, like, stop stop and i would try to like shock my system almost like and tighten up and go stop and then refocus from whatever i was focusing on and try to direct my focus to something else and put all my focus into that something else that would tear it away from whatever was creating that mm -hmm. that fight or flight and it seemed like if i was getting maybe like I don't know, and I can't even remember now because I kind of blocked it all out, but if I was getting 10 panic attacks a day, I started to get nine a day, started to get eight a day, started to get seven a day, started to get six a day, and it just got to the point where then I was like, I'm not getting them anymore. This is great. I've, I've worked this out of my system. But um, there were some other things I did. I quit drinking caffeine. Wow. I stopped caffeine. I, yeah, because I heard I've, I've heard caffeine causes even if it's green tea, yeah. it doesn't matter. Caffeine's caffeine, yeah, and that can trigger your adrenal glands. I stopped caffeine. I stopped. Um, I kind of stopped partying as hard. I mean, I I didn't, but I do now because a hangover can put you in that kind of state where it's and very, the loss of sleep. Yeah, can, oh, oh yeah. yeah, and you're not getting good sleep. Yeah, um, but I. I think it all stemmed from uh, I was at a place in my life where I was traveling constantly. And I travel a lot now, but I was traveling without anything. Like I, and some people think that's like the greatest thing in the world. Like what do you total mean without freedom. anything? I had, I had no roots. I had nothing to come home to. I had, uh, I was, like, in my house, I didn't even have shit. Like, I didn't build a home. I had a suitcase that I was in and out of. And my bed was just someplace I crashed when I got home. And then it was off to the next town or the next girl that I would meet in the next town. I had no girlfriend. I had no... I mean, I have a family back in Pittsburgh, but I would see them very rarely. Uh, I could call them on the phone anytime. They're a good family. Uh, I didn't have a dog. I didn't, I didn't have a pet. I didn't have... And it... And my sister said she went through it at one point in her life when she was working. She said, you're working too much. You're working too hard. And she's like, it's your body just telling you it can't take this anymore. And she's like, you're a fucking ball of stress. And you don't even realize it because you go 100 miles an hour. She's like, you need to calm down. And you need to, uh, you need to, you, you know, you don't want to be doing what you're doing anymore. And I didn't. I didn't want to be. You know, like people, oh, yeah, different girl in every port. No, I wanted, like, something substantial. Yeah, I, first thing I did, I got a dog. And when they say that emotional support stuff, 
Yeah. It works. Right. Like you have a dog that cares about you and you care about that. You pet that dog, that'll make your panic go away. I mean, you just sit there and any kind of stress you have, you're like, and it gives you something. A lot of this, all this is, I mean, you look at me at the state I was in, I had no one to care about, no one to take. I had too much time on my hands. Like, even though I was busy, it was still all about me and it wasn't about anyone else. Right. And so when you focus on yourself all the time, you're going to be depressed and you're going to have anxiety. When you start working, dealing with other people and worrying about other shit and like, so having a wife, having a child, now it's like, I'll travel anywhere because I'm out there to make money because I got a purpose. I had no purpose. I was like, hey, go get laughs and get laid. <laughs> that was it. And uh, so when I start putting some structure and some purpose in my life, all of a sudden, you know, so there could have been many factors that can contributed to this. But initially, I got rid of the panic way doing panic attacks that way. Then I developed it into like building a life of like a healthier life. And I mean, still, I work on the stress thing because I still go 110 miles an hour. Like I work out a lot. I I try to be a really good father. I try to be a good husband. I try to be a good comedian. I, I And I'm just go, go. Like you said, fear of lying on that couch and dying. I, I, we all live in this kind of state of I, how much shit can I get done? I got to. I mean, it's almost a fear of like, uh, it, for me, I, I recognize it's a fear of like not being enough. Yeah. So I just feel like I have to do yep. more. Yep. And, uh, and, but also love the feeling of like when I lay down at night knowing I'm going to sleep because I've done so much in my day. Like to me, yeah. that's what, that's what yeah. it's all about. Like you are like, yeah, earning my sleep. Like yeah. I just, it's almost like I'm a nine year old yep. and I got to wear that. I got to wear them out physically. We have to wear them out mentally. Yeah. And in a way, because if I don't, if I miss one of those, if I miss the, the mental stimulation, whether right. through stand-up or reading or writing or doing something novel or the physical through working out, uh, sleep is, is going to be a monster. Yeah, and I think I'm very much like that. Uh, I can have insomnia where I'll be up all night if I didn't do what I had to do. And it's a combination of, I'm having regrets that I'm not moving forward, and I'm also didn't exhaust myself. Mm. You know, I like when I lie down and my head hits the pillow and I'm out. Crash. I'm all about jaw. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. And so I try, I mean, like, after this, I've got to go do another workout. I'm mm. doing my second workout today. I'm crazy. Like, I'm, I can't take on enough shit. And I was with a friend yesterday. The guy I had on my podcast yesterday ran seven marathons and seven continents in seven days, four Ironmans, twice rode his bike across America. And I go, why do you do it? And he's like, I just like doing crazy shit. And I was like, I do two. I'm calculated. But I feel like life's too short, and I want to I wanna fit everything in. And there's a lot of things I don't like that I look at people, I'm like, you're an idiot. I would never fucking do that. Yeah, like going to Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, I take calculated risks. <laughs> and that is just... You know, I used to go to Mexico to surf. I, I'm I'm kind of done with Mexico surfing. It's a little. I just so funny. I read an article today from four like expert surfers that surf in Mexico a lot of like how to deal. 
and just all the shit they were saying, I'm like, no, I'm just not going. They're like, bring an expired license. So when the cops pull you uh, over, you say, here's my license. I'll meet you at the police station. Then you don't go to the police station. I'm like, then you have cops looking for you and they have your picture. And there were all these different things like bring an extra spare tire. Make sure you get your car because if you are on the side of the road, you will get robbed. You will get, you know, like the drug cartel and this and that. And I was just like, how about I just surf in California? Well, how about you not read so, so because you read a lot. Yeah. You read too much. And I yeah. think it's scaring you a yeah. bit. Oh, it is. My, my, <laughs> one, of my, one of my close friends is a therapist and she <laughs> talks more than I do. And we get on the phone and talk to each other. And all she ever says to me is, I'm not an intelligent person but she calls me high functioning. She's like, you're high functioning, meaning like I'm going on all cylinders and I can't get enough information in my brain. My brain is just insatiable. Oh, I'm the same. And I'm just like, give me more. Like, I like talking to you because I feel like I get content back. I hate when I'm in a conversation with someone and I'm like, you dummy, you dummy, you have nothing to offer me. Like. What, what, this is all one way. And I don't mind it at that point. If they want to learn, I'm like, I'll give you some of my shit. Because I heard once that we learn by talking. So I'm like, at least I'm fucking like, you know, programming my brain with some of my shit. But I'm like, life is so long <laughs> or short, the way you look at it. How are you still drinking Coca-Cola, you dumb fuck? Like, how have you not advanced past this? I get really flustered and frustrated because I'm like, you have hours in your day, just hours, and you can go into that, like, numbness where you just sit like, mm. You know, like, everybody aspires. They show you that picture of the, uh, the uh, hammock between the two palm trees on the island. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, I would love that. I've been there. I would hate it. I've been there. Yeah. I went to the Maldives. I got in that hammock. I was in it for about four seconds. And I was like, all right, I got to do some shit. <laughs> right. I was like, where's the jet ski? Where's, where am I going spearfishing? Yeah, scuba yeah, diving, yeah. I was snorkeling. Like, where, when are the waves coming? I, yeah. I was like, I can't lie in this hammock for longer than five seconds. I can't do it, dog. Oh, I don't understand people who lay out at the beach. I see them, no. I go, what are you doing? I don't understand. Put on an audio book, walk around. I go to the beach you know, every day. Mix it up. When I'm home, I go to the beach every single day. And I bring a towel and my surfboard. And my wife brings what looks like came in an 18-wheeler yeah, right. full of shit down to the beach <laughs> that I have to carry. And, it. and I get so mad. I'm like, why? Why? And she's like, Izzy needs her shovel and her buckets. and her. I go, she needs sticks and shells That's right. and rocks and an imagination. And it's better than all this crap that came from China that, that does nothing. I go, you dig holes in the ground. You pour the water. You, you, like, That's all she needs. Yeah. And uh, my wife's like, but how does she get the water up from the ocean? Till all she, I, she digs Use an irrigation hands. drench. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, how you, that's how I did. And, and my whole thing is. I get there, my wife like lays out, sits down, she's all prepared to relax. And I'm like, okay, I'm going surfing because I can't sit there. And people say to me, well, how do you want? I do a lot of breathing exercises, but to me, that's an activity. It is, yeah. And I an will, activity. I'll do 
and then I got I got so into breathing. Like I learned box breathing from this Navy SEAL, and he taught me. Uh, he runs this thing called Seal Fit, Mark Devine. And I learned box breathing, how they slow their heart rate so they can take a shot. Now, what's box breathing? Because I've heard of tactical breathing where it's like the four count in, four yeah, count yeah. hold, and four count Very, release. very, very, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's inhale for a count, hold for a count, exhale for a count, hold for a count. So you think about a box. Uh, but it's really what I think is a trapezoid. Is that right? Um, because you want, you want to double the exhale than the inhale. So say you do an inhale for five. You hold for five, you exhale for 10, hold for five. Because it's in the exhale where our bodies is taking in all the oxygen. So um, you're, you're, it's all about carbon dioxide toleration, uh, to the way you're able to tolerate carbon dioxide. And so I have gotten really deep into it. Like if I showed you my breathing exercises, yeah. And I'm up to three and a half. Have minutes. you heard of crocodile breathing? No, not at all. Uh, so, like, uh, is it nasal personal. breathing? Oh, no, because that's all. I mean, you're, you're breathing uh, in through your nose, out through your mouth. See, I'm in nose but, and uh, out nose. It, uh, it's because breathing is the hardest thing to teach a lot of my clients. Yeah. Proper, because a lot of people breathe into their chest, mm -hmm. which is a sign of stress and raises mm -hmm. cortisol. And then, but most people don't know how to breathe into their belly. I try to teach them to breathe mm -hmm. into their belly button. So one of the ways is uh, we call it proprioceptive feedback, where basically you're laying on your stomach with your forehead on your hands. Mm -hmm. And because your belly can feel the ground, Interesting. I say breathe. When you breathe in, act like your belly button is pushing the ground away. Okay. And then breathe oh, out, wow. pulling your belly button into your spine. And so that's a, a quicker, easier way for people who can't understand it otherwise interesting they call it crocodile breathing interesting yeah uh, and it a lot of them, like they just and they just they're ready to go to take a nap right they're like oh my god i've been taking a breath like this and so i i got this crazy friend we call him crazy bobby and uh he's married to a celebrity and she uh one day they call me they live in my neighborhood and they call me like get over to our house get over here and i went over and they're, they're doing all the wim hof stuff and wim hof and Winhoff is the ice yeah, ice man. Yeah, <laughs> and I just look at everybody sitting around. And I'm like, I'm not doing this shit. And they're like, sit down. And I'm like, no, no, this isn't for me, you hippies. And I'm like, I'm out of here. And they're like, sit down. And I did it. And I was like, I did a, a bunch of rounds of it. And all of a sudden, during the uh, the breath hold, the second breath hold, because I, uh, Wim is about you do 30 inhales and exhales, then you. Hold your breath for, I believe, on the exhale. So you exhaled all your air, and then you hold your breath for as long as you can. And then once you have to release, you take in a breath and hold for 15 seconds. That 15 seconds is euphoric. There's like a feeling, like a buzz you get. And so doing the whole thing, I was like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Then I do the 15 seconds, and I'm like, hmm, this is pretty good. I want to do another round of this. So I did the other round, and it was like taking a drug. And I don't know what the stimulus is, what what it is happening physiologically, but I liked it. And so I started doing Wim Hof quite a bit. And I had a few health problems, and I thought I could cure it with Wim Hof. And I just, you know, I thought, oh, this guy doesn't get any disease or sickness because of this. His immune system is incredible. And I wasn't getting that. Um, but... I had more luck doing intermittent fasting where I was like curing things that I had problems with. Like I, 
I'd never had asthma in my entire life. I got a cold and I had an asthmatic response. So I had asthma and I was freaking out. Like I was wheezing. And I went to see a doctor like this, you know, everybody always sends you to the top guy. This guy's like, yeah, you have asthma. And I'm like, no one in my family has asthma. I've never experienced asthma. He's like, well, you have it now. And I'm like, and how old were you? This was time? like two years ago. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm too healthy. I'm the, he's like, sorry. He's like, here's your, med here's your medication. Here's your prescription. Here's your inhaler. Here's your this. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, fuck you. Fuck you and your simple diagnosis. Your and quick your quick diagnosis. He wants to get you out the door. He's got you on the timer. And I was just like, fuck off. And I called a friend and I said, hey, I'm starting. And my friend wrote the book, uh, The Paleo Solution. Rob Wolf. And I said, hey, Rob, I said, I'm having this uh, this problem. And I said, uh, I'm thinking about trying intermittent fasting. What do you think? He's like, it's great. He said, look up this doctor, Dr. Walter Longo, who's a ageist specialist out of USC. He's doing some really great work with cancer. So I read all about his, his fast mimicking diet. And then it led me into intermittent fast, fast, fast mimicking. mimicking. So you, you basically... Um, you trick your body into think you're fasting, but you're not. It's a ketogenic type diet. Uh, you're eating only about 750 calories the first. I, I'm trying to remember it correctly. I think you go five days a month of doing this. So for five days, the first day you eat like two full avocados and like four green powders. Green powders basically are just ground up vegetables that you pour in a drink and you drink it. It tastes awful, but you just get it down. And so that's your whole day. And I think it's about 750 calories. And then you go down to 500 calories for the next four days. So it's 755, 555. And people look into this. If you've got cancer or, uh, you know, look this up, Dr. Valter, V-A-L-T-E-R. Long ago, he's been in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Everybody's written about this guy. He's made tremendous strides with cancer. Um, he, so I, I read about it and it was, Basically, your body. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. Your your body is thinking that it has uh, that it's in starvation mode, but it's not. It has ketones from the from the fat from the avocado. So you're not in this totally fasted state because when he wanted to to do his trials and do his study, no doctors would let him near their patients. They're like, "Wait, you want to fast our patients? Like people with cancer need to eat." And he was like, they're, he's like, just let me do this. And they were like, no, no one's going to do it. And he was like, he wanted them to fast completely. And they're like, no, they need, they need food. They need, they, we, try to, we try to get their appetites up when they're on chemo. And, and they're like, we're definitely not taking them off chemo. We're not taking them off radiation. They go, so he said, what if I can create a diet that is like fasting? And they said, okay, because you know, his whole idea was the glycogen from the sugar, from the carbohydrates, was fueling the cells of the cancer. Mm. So he's like, let's cut out any kind of glycogen, and if we can bring it in through fat, through ketones, they're not gonna have that. So he developed the diet, and then the doctor was like, still no. So he was like, what if I make the meals for them? We serve them the meals, and then they, which is just the avocado. And uh, so he did that, and the doctor was like, okay, and what they saw was that the combination, it's why I believe that, I don't believe in homeopathic medicine, but I don't believe in, I don't believe in either or. I believe you need a combination of Absolutely. both. Of homeopathic and 
you know, the medicine that doctors have been practicing. For, Western versus yeah. Eastern, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you need them both. Yep. And Western is, anyways, sort of East. There's the drugs they're using are using all the shit. Uh, I listen to, what is his name? Peter Atia. Yeah. I think he said once, he's like, you know, all these homeopathic people, you have to realize that drugs are just a combination of all the stuff you guys are using, but it's been FDA tested. So don't always be so, like, turn your nose up against, you know, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I try to stay away from them as much as possible. I try never to put a pill on my body, ever. But uh, I always try to go homeopathic route first. And then if I can't, you know, I have taken a steroid in my life. You know, like, a, uh, I've taken uh, antibiotics in my life. Like, I will go to them if I have to. But I believe the body has its own kind of regeneration and does Absolutely. a pretty good job of Absolutely. itself. So fasting, I think, is amazing and uh but the breathing thing i just went off on a tangent sorry um the breathing thing to go back to it i deviated away from whim because the whole idea of like getting my immune system going i don't feel like i got that fasting got me that but i did feel like whim brought me down like i could level out and i could be stress-free and i would recover better from workouts and so then a good friend of mine is this guy, Brian McKenzie, who does a thing called Speed Power Endurance. Mm -hmm. And Brian really, with Laird Hamilton, got, Laird has this thing called XPT Fit. They really got into uh, breathing. Like, like they saw what Wim was doing and then just started like, Wim didn't even know how Wim did what he did. Right, he was right. just, he didn't know the science behind it. He just knew it worked. These guys got into the science of it and really, really got into it. So I went up to San Francisco and met with Brian because I'm doing this big wave surf thing where I'm gonna surf a giant fucking wave in, uh, in Maui. And uh, I've been held down on like five foot waves where I'm just like, I'm dying and I'm gonna get thrown down on a 30 foot wave and I will be close to death. So I wanna have a breath hold that is just ridiculous. like. The more, the more technique I have, the more um, tools I have when that happens, the more confident I'll be and the more stress-free I can stay. Because that's what it's all about. When you get thrown underwater and you get hold down, held down, um, when you panic, the oxygen leaves your body immediately. Right. Immediately. And so you have to stay in this relaxed state while you're getting flipped, turned, feel like your arms are getting yanked off your body, you have to say to yourself, this is a fun ride. I'm going for a ride, and I'm just going to relax and enjoy it until it's over. And you have to say that to your brain while it's happening, but every part of you wants to panic and swim to the surface. And if you do that, you could die. You have to go into relaxation mode. So being as high-wired as I am, I've had to really, really work on that. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's really helped my stand-up comedy. What, just being on stage and No, like, so? like, so the thing I'm doing, the big wave thing I'm doing, my friend is one of the top big wave surfers in the world, Albie Lair. And we just, in a joke, said that what I do is scarier than what he does. And so he said he'd do stand-up if I surfed a big wave. That's funny. He said, I said... I'll surf a big wave if you stand up. We both argue it was the other person. But um, 
he was saying, oh, my God, my hands are sweating just thinking about it. And I'm like, fuck off. I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. like, like, you don't, you, like you think you're going to die. Yeah. I could literally die. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, no, but I'll, he's like, I'll kill myself if I bomb that bad. And uh, I said, no, like this, you know, well, he's, he, if either of us talks, like if I talk about stand up, he starts freaking out. When he starts talking about the big wave and what happens underwater, I lose my shit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've really, really had to focus on it. And I said to him, it's funny, when he was talking about relaxing, I said, it's the same thing with stand-up. I said, if you go on stage and your adrenaline's up, your timing's off, and you will bomb. Mm -hmm. You have to be in a calm state. It's like a pitcher. Pitcher's got to throw that ball in a calm state or it's not... He's not His throwing the pitch. going to be tight. It's not going to be loose. And so that box breathing, I, I don't really ever get nervous doing stand-up. I did a show last week for 7,000 people. Didn't get nervous at all. There was no bit of nerves. And people go, oh, that means you, you don't care anymore. I go, no, I care a lot. I've just learned to control myself. Because if, I, if I'm nervous, I bomb. Mm -hmm. So I do box breathing. If I ever, if they go, oh, this is, you know, so-and-so's here to see you and they're going to give you a development deal if you do, you know, then I'm nervous. And so I just sit backstage, do like, you know, four rounds of box breathing and all of a sudden. And, you know, it's, what's, what's incredible is that like people go, you don't care. And it's like, no, I care enough to do the work beforehand so that I can show up and be the best I can be. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't want your sniper to be all like anxious jacked and up jacked and, yeah. up and ready to go. It's like, no, you want them to be focused and in the pocket and and able to uh it's just like what you know, if you you know, because you're you've been married how long? Uh two. Two long. years. No. Two. <laughs> uh, five. So it's like even you know, if you and your wife are, are getting into an argument, having some discourse. There's a moment where you realize we're both maybe too emotionally invested mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we have to take a break. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I don't want to have a conversation or talk. It's I recognize that we're now in a place where whatever we say is not going to come from uh, the best place. Yeah. And it's not going to it's not going to it's not going to have the impact that we want. Do you know, it's amazing. Uh, my wife and I don't ever yell at each other. Mm -hmm. We've had some arguments. We try never, ever to argue in front of our daughter. That's, like, important, you know, not to do that. But we have have discussions that, to us, they don't seem heated. or, And sometimes they're not at all. But I guess they taught my daughter at school to do this when people are arguing. Because she did it to us, and we, like, laughed so hard. And she does it all the time. Where we'll be talking and, like, I'll be trying to get my point across with my wife. And I'll be talking like this. Like, this is the tone I'm using. So I don't want people to think we're yelling. But my daughter can observe that it's like... She feels the energy. And my, my daughter, who is four, will go, stop, stop. Mommy, you talk first. When you're finished, then daddy, then you talk. Mommy go, get then daddy here. go. I swear to God. Four years old. Four years old. And when she does it, it is honestly like... That stop is both of us recognize it's time to relax. Like, get in, like, she, like a four-year-old just made us aware of the fact that, that you, something was wrong. Like, so, like you're not going to get your point across when you're talking over each other 
or you're and uh, I don't know if it's a perception my daughter has because she does it sometimes when we're like like we'll be like what ride are we gonna ride at Six Flags you know and then my wife's like well first we're gonna go I'm like no no and my daughter goes stop mommy you go first then daddy you go you you know it's she does it quite often (laughs) but she doesn't want people talking over each other and I think they I think my wife said they taught her that at school and I'm like it's good school glad yeah I remember when I was working at a group home and we would do like group therapy and it was you know there was a stick and you couldn't talk unless you held oh yeah 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 yeah. and sometimes I would have to do that in marriage therapy because you know sometimes you did have a couple who they were both they were just chomping at the bits to, to say what the other person did that week. Yeah. And you're just like, you guys, you guys need to stick, man. Because yeah. and it's <laughs> and it and it works. It's just it's it's weird that you have to do that with adults. But yeah. you know, we you know, we're we're still we still all have that nine year old in us that I I know that with comedians and I'm so guilty of it. I love to talk and I I just wanna I don't know why, since I was a little kid. My, I, I w- I wasn't a good athlete because I like to sit on the bench and talk more than I like to play. And my mom goes, I always look over and you'd be talking. Then the coach would call you to go and you wouldn't even know which way the basket was because you were so busy talking. And uh, I had to play individual sports that it was like all me, all focus. And I got good at sports like that because there was no lag time. There was no pay attention to other people. And I know that sounds really selfish. And I think comics are incredibly selfish. And I, I know I am. And I, I'm not proud of that. And I, yes, I try to work on it. But comics love to talk. When I do a podcast with comics, they talk over each other so much. And then I listen to it afterwards. I'm like, this sounds terrible. And then I'll listen to like a podcast with like, like political analysts. And they just, not the like Fox News, CNN type. It's like... NPR type, and I'm like, wow, this is so refreshing to hear somebody say their full spiel and no one interrupt or jump all over them or come back at them. I mean, it's my favorite podcast. It's called Left, Right, Left, Right or Center. Is that NPR? Yeah, it's uh, KCRW, but I think it's on. No, KCRW. It's so fucking good because you know you have a point of view from the left, from the center, and oh, from I, the right. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I wish. Everybody would listen to it, and nobody would watch CNN or Fox, I, or MSNBC or any. I, it's like, if I could change one thing in this country, it would be just stop everybody from watching the media, like the the mainstream media, and just listen to shit like this or watch that. You're getting all points of view, and you'll find out. Like, if you think you're a liberal. You'd be amazed how much you agree with the conservative right. and vice versa and vice versa. You're going to go. Sometimes you're going to go mm, no. But my, my new favorite podcast is called uh, Through Line. Through Line. It's, uh, it's an NPR podcast, I believe. And what they do is they'll take something that's happening today and then give it historical context. So like uh, one of them, they talked about the opioid crisis taking mm-hmm. place today. And they brought it all the way back to the Civil War. Wow. And slavery. And they wow. started it from there. And then it went through t- 
time and up to the present moment and just how it started with uh, morphine, morphine, and then uh, heroin. Wow. And then and today and how it started with uh, Civil War guys started were taking it initially. But then they found that the the wives of the Civil War guys. Yeah, were I started. I, I listened a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, I like my mind was just blown. So I love anything that uh, gives you historical context and takes you back a few hundred or thousands of years, so that you you get a bigger picture right. of what's happening. Right. And you do realize that like what's happening today has has always happened in some mm-hmm. form or fashion and. Because um, I don't think enough people take it. My dad always says that. My dad, my dad doesn't say it like that. My dad always says history repeats itself, yeah. and it's not that it repeats itself. History's ongoing, yeah. and all the crisis that you see now has a fa- you know you can follow it back forever and ever and ever and ever, mm-hmm. and uh, and everybody thinks it's just this like hey, these Al Qaeda guys they hate us. They're trying to kill us. What? Let, fuck these Muslims. Let's go kill them all. Well, they're trying to kill us. They blew into our building. And it's like, do you have any idea why? Right. You want to go? Let, you want to start tracing it back to to Ronald Reagan? Do you want to go back really even far, scary, really further bad. than that? Do you want to <laughs> like? Do you want to know what's been going on since oil was discovered in 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 the Middle East? Like, let's let's trace you know all of that. Um, so but you know what? It's the same thing in a relationship in that, you know, because like, you'll get into an argument or discourse and you, you think what you're arguing about is what she's mad about today. Right now, but it And then you back. find out, oh, if we trace it back, sure. we get some historical context. It's like something that happened a few months ago, but also something that happened in her childhood that triggered that thing that happened a few months ago. Sure. That now is adding to, and, and unless like you... Un- unravel those yeah. layers yeah when i when i went to couples therapy the the biggest takeaway i got was uh when you know because the girl i was dating like she would just flare up and i was like how do i handle this was to ask um what else are you feeling so to first acknowledge her feeling right like she was upset be like i understand why you're upset mm-hmm. and validate that and be like what else are you feeling and you'll because a lot of times we always stop at the initial feeling. You're upset, I'm upset, and then we're just trying to get rid of the being upset. But usually when somebody's angry, they're also feeling maybe frustrated. They're also maybe feeling lonely. They're also feeling disconnected. Mm-hmm. And it's like and unless you help the other person unravel those feelings, you never really get to the real, the, the thing that it, you right. realize is, has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Has everything to do with something that sure, triggered Sure, sure, sure. And so I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't do that at all. I just, I pick away and try to find, it's like unpeeling an onion. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, is it this? Is it this? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Is it, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's so funny, but it all adds up and the history you know, we're all who we are because of things that happened throughout our, you know, my fear of elevators. I remember my cousins were like, I had a bunch of older cousins and we used to go to the pool <laughs> every day in the summer and they would drown me. You know, like they would, they, it was just the worst feeling in the world when they would take me in and you'd think I'd be afraid of waves like this, but I'm on my own then. It's like it was them being in control and me not being in control, and they'd hold me down. And 
Um, I'd see them in the pool, and I'd be like, I'm not getting in that fucking pool today. <laughs> you know, like Ted and Pat are in there now. I'm not getting in there. And because uh, why not? Because uh, eventually they're going to come over to me. They're going to start wrestling me, and they're going to hold me down because they're mm. like bullies, and they're going to, and I'm going to feel like I'm dying, and I don't want to feel like that. And I read somewhere that like claustrophobia and cleatrophobia are a fear of death. And uh, a lot of times you fell in a pool as a kid and were kind of like drowning and that's where it stemmed from. So it might be, that's why I need to go to therapy. It might be that that's where it comes from, that it goes all the way back to my childhood of, but um, you know, it's just weird. Like, Sometimes seatbelts in a shitty car, I'll look at the seatbelt, and I'm like, I'd rather go through the windshield yeah. than lock myself into this thing that I'm going to be stuck in. I got stuck in a seatbelt once and just cool. freaked the what, fuck what, out. The in high school, off, my buddy's car, he, my buddy had this shitty station wagon, his mom's car, and I put the seatbelt on, and we're driving around, and then I go to take it off, and it won't, it won't unhook, and I can't slide out of it. Wow. So I'm like locked in, and I'm going, get scissors! You know, like, yeah, fucking yeah, cut yeah, me yeah, out yeah, of this yeah. shit now. And he's like... And he's going, calm down. And I'm like, fuck off. You know, like, oh, I'm fucking trapped. <laughs> and uh, it happened to me again at, uh, what was the right, Jurassic Park? No, yeah. Indiana Jones Temple of Doom or something oh, at, the thing that the at Disney World. Up. No, they had a seatbelt, like a, oh, yeah, like yeah. a car seatbelt. We're going through, and I'm like, this ride's not, like, I don't have the bar coming down. I'm like, no big deal. All of a sudden, the whole fucking ride stops. And they're like, oh, we're sorry. Uh, we've had a technical malfunction. Uh, we're going to be fixing it. Just stay in your car. Uh, they didn't say stay in your car. They said uh, it, it might take up to an hour to fix. And they said uh, they didn't say don't get out of the car because they yeah. said you will be unable to get out of the car, though, um, because we've locked the seatbelts. And I went, what did you just say? Like, did you just say you... And I went to unlock the seatbelt, and it wouldn't unlock. They had locked us in. And I'm like, no, fuck you. Fuck you. No way am I sitting here for an hour <laughs> just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was handcuffed once. I got arrested, and uh, I told the cop, I said, listen, we didn't do anything bad. We were, I was riding on the handlebars of a stolen bicycle. We were, came out of a bachelor party and jumped on a bike and rode around, like, in front of the bar. So it was like we stole it, you know. Uh, but the cops thought, you know, they were just being, we were drunk. They were mm -hmm. like, fuck you, you're going to jail. Right, right. And when he went to handcuff me, I was like, officer, um, I have this thing called... <laughs> And what was his response? Was he like, well, don't do the thing that gets you handcuffed? His response was his his foot on my neck. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put me down on the ground, handcuffed me behind my back, and put me in the car. And uh, then I became, like, the biggest kiss-ass ever. Because <laughs> I, I luckily went into, like, survival mode, which yeah. was if I spaz, it's only going to make it worse. Right. I have to be as calm as possible, and that is my only chance of them being lenient. So I explained to them, I said, you know, I, I just, I do this a lot with stuff. When I see people like losing their temper, I go as low as I can. I go, not low, I go as calm as I can. And I went, officer, uh, I just want to apologize for what happened there. I said, um, 
my friend and I were at a bachelor party and we were just having a good time and you know we didn't we didn't we didn't steal the bike I said we were gonna put it right back I said we were just and yes we probably have had a little too much to drink and I said but and we weren't thinking and I said and I apologize and I said and I told him I said I used I used to work here in this borough and I was a lifeguard here on the beaches mm -hmm. and we kind of worked hand in hand yeah. with you guys and you know and I know so and so and I was just all of it was rapport. it was survival of get out of these fucking handcuffs as quickly as possible because otherwise you're going to lose your mind because my I was in full panic my adrenaline Did was going work? yeah he was pretty cool when we got to the police station he he took the handcuff off one hand and handcuffed me to the bench and then the guy that was riding the bike was a friend of mine that was a professional bike racer and uh so when the cop said what do you do mr if for a living i said i'm a comedian and he goes oh you think this is fucking funny and i was like no officer i don't i i don't because this is another cop yeah, like yeah. they brought us in gave us to the other guy at the bench he goes, oh, you think this is really funny, huh? And I said, no, I don't. And he goes, I better not end up in one of your skits. And I was like, I'd, I would never do such a thing. And then I start laughing because I know he's about to ask my friend. He goes, all right, Mr. Mills, what do you do for a living? Because he's filling out all the He goes, I'm a professional bike racer. <laughs> he goes, okay, two comedians. <laughs> he goes, we got two comedians here. And so I go to the cop. I go, no, I swear to God, he's a, he's a, he's a, he, like the guy's rode with Lance Armstrong. I go, I just was on the handlebars telling the jokes. I go, and so they're kind of laughing. And then one of the cops came in, knew who I was. It got easier all the way down the line. I, I, I mean, this isn't in the theme of your podcast, but it, the funny part of this. No, is but you know what it is because the, you know, a lot of times people are in situations where they do, or where they are in fight or flight mode. Yeah, and. Uh, and then we we take it too seriously. Yeah. And when you're dealing with people, right? C comedy, levity. Yeah. Always. Oh, it yeah. Always. I mean, not always works, but it works more times than not. And if you, if we, when we learn how to connect with people, because a lot of times we walk around thinking like, cops are this way, or this group of people is that way, or whatever. And if you walk around with that mentality, then you never actually get to know them. It's and insane. Connect. You, you cannot do you that. You can't do that. Yeah. That's that's just like being racist. Absolutely. That that if you look at cops and go, all cops are evil, or all cops are hard asses, or all you're crazy because you're doing the same thing as saying superlatives. Yeah, and and you can't you can't. Do, I was just thinking that the other day because I had 17 police officers in my show, and. Uh, none of them laughed like they were so hard the whole crowd laughing and i basically just focused on them and just went out and after the show i was like you guys are just dicks you're like cops you're you, it's the and and i did it i walked away going all cops are dicks you know right. and they're not because i've got so many friends that are cops that are good people that want to do the right thing and are really really good people do i know bad cop yes yes do i know good yes i know some wonderful wonderful people that are police officers I also see people that are getting arrested that do that freak out. Absolutely. And that's fight or flight. That is, and the cops automatically think, oh, this guy's resisting arrest and I need to fucking put a bullet in him or tase him or, you know, break it, you know, pull his, pull his shoulders out of their saw. When it's like, you're not understanding the mentality of this guy. This isn't, 
This guy doesn't want to kill you. This guy's scared to death right now. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget. Nothing prepares you for somebody handcuffing you and and standing close to you with a gun. Yeah, I'll never forget that that <laughs> guy that got shot by the cops in, and I don't want to cop bash, but when those cops shot that guy in the hallway, they got him to come out of the, uh, they got him to come out of the uh, apartment that he was in, mm-hmm. and they had him get on his knees, and they kept telling him to, they kept telling him what to do, and they were shouting at him from around the corner, and they were shouting at him, like screaming at him, and he's like, please, please, please don't shoot me, please, please, and they're like, get on your knees right now, get on your knees, and he's like, oh, oh. And, he, and he was like, he'd get on his knees, and they're like, no, 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 hands behind your and he like was confused at what they were he telling throws. Adam. Yeah. And he went to like, they said, show your something. And he pulled up his shirt like he was confused at what they were yelling at him. It was more than one person yelling probably. And then they shot him. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy was so fucking scared. Like so scared. And you did exactly what he was afraid of. Like that, he didn't want to make the wrong move. Because he was afraid you'd shoot him. And he, because he was so scared, he made the wrong move. He made the wrong move, which made you scared, which made you shoot at him. And I don't know the answer. And, I, and, and in that situation, too, the fact that all those cops yelling, they were scared. Because, because that's oh, they're what, terrified. That's, that's what you do when you over, when you start yelling. And, you know, it's like, first of all, there's a group of cops. One person should be giving orders so that everybody can hear. Right. And, you know... Well, I, I used to do a podcast with a cop. Uh-huh. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> you had, like, 20 lives. <laughs> my my Wadcast podcast that I do now, um, the one about strength and conditioning yeah. and fitness and health yeah. and everything, yeah. for probably five years, my partner was a SWAT team guy. And he's told me... I mean, this is one of the things I don't... I had a lot of disagreements with him about police and about... But I agree with cops a lot of times. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously in the middle on everything. And he said, when I forget the term they use, but when they come in, they use such force, such combative force that it's to scare you into submission. And I was like, that's from the military. The military, when they break down doors and come in, and we've militarized our police force. And that's not what they were initially for. And they've now become militarized where they're like, we can take control of any situation. We will come in with such force. Oh, yeah. I mean, you saw that they used tanks in the hood. and uh, But you go to Europe, they have a completely different approach. Yep. And, Same with Australia. Know, yeah. They, they talk to you. Yeah. They, they try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, but maybe you could do that when you have, when you've banned guns. I mean, it's. It's it's it goes back to their layers to yeah, yeah. you know it goes to the training to the laws to the um, the pay the there's know. so much there's so much involved it's like it's like school shootings some people go it's too many guns people go oh no it's it's uh, the psycho psychoactive drugs and it's the it's the, the video games video I see games people playing it, <laughs> yeah it's try a combination of all it's of all the of above it, right absolutely try our media. Our culture, our our fame whoring that everyone does. It's uh, you know people feeling insignificant, and all of a sudden this is the only way they can get power and significance. They just want to be seen. Significance. Yeah. Yeah. Significance. That's uh, that's. 
I, I think it, it, that's the, I feel like that's probably at the root of a lot of right. We all just my friend, my friend James. Do you know James Smith, New York comic? Well, he's an Australian comedian, lived in New York. James said to me one day, and I use it all the time. When I would get mad about a comedian or something mad about someone doing something, he would say, Eddie, everyone's just looking for significance in life. And he said, anytime you see somebody doing something that you're mad at them for because they're doing it, just realize that they're just trying to get some significance. And that's all they want. So knowing that, you can't be mad at them. It's like a, it's like a, feral cat trying to find some food they're just trying to find their food they're just trying to find their significance and you can't fault them for it it's like i'd see some hack comic doing some hacky shit on stage that you're like oh why is he doing that he's ruining the show and it's like no he's not he's just trying to get some significance in life it's all he wants and he's like it wasn't working this way i'm trying this way this is the shortcut to get here and i'm gonna do it. and it's like Whatever you got to do, man. You know, whatever it is. To be seen. It's, yeah. you, that's your life. This is my life. Whatever makes you happy, I'm, I'm all for it. So I never judge. I, I used to judge comics and have, like, put my nose up all the time. And I don't ever anymore. I look at, I look at horrible hacks up there on stage doing, like, material that's been done over and over and over. And I'm like, you're a cover band. It's okay. You're making people happy. Cover bands aren't selling lots of albums. You're, but you know what? Everybody loves you. there's a market you. for them. Yeah, everybody there's, there's loves somebody you. Somebody yeah. love you, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Like, so what? So that, did they ruin the crowd for me? No. There's still going to be five people in that audience that go, hey, this is some really interesting shit. I'm going to go buy his album. Right, right. There are only going to be five people anyway. You know? It's like, you're never going to, you're not going to get everybody to love you. A, a cover band will, but they're they're not going to buy your albums. Let me ask you this uh, to to close this out because I, I love ending on uh, the whole significance thing. Always ask this, you know. I always feel like there's a a listener out there who is on the precipice of uh, taking their life. Yeah. And what would you say to someone who like before you kill yourself? What would you say to that person? That there's many chapters. And this is just one bad chapter. And when you get into the next chapter, you're going to go, holy shit, I almost put the book down. When this chapter is so fucking good, I can't believe I, I, I almost stopped before this chapter. Because I think we've all been there where it seems like doom and gloom and there's no possible light, none. And then around the corner, like, I'm not saying it's a miracle, because I think it happens way more than a miracle, but something will happen that you go, oh, this is life-changing. I can't believe I met this person. I can't believe I discovered this. I can't believe I found this. And it can be, it can be something as much as a partner. It can also be something as much as a podcast that you just listen to and go, hey. It can be a TV show that you just go, wow, I, I look forward to Monday nights now. And... Uh, and then you get start getting on the happy train again. And it ebbs and flows. Life is, you're going to have high highs, you're going to have low lows. And, and the, the contrast is what makes life good. Not, not, if it was all great, it wouldn't be great. Because you wouldn't know what great is because it's only great. So you got to have those shitty times that make great great. 
I had a shitty girlfriend before I had my wife. I know how wonderful my wife is because I was in a miserable relationship. And my wife is amazing, you know? So I know, you know, that because of that. So um, if I didn't have that shit, I wouldn't, I've, my career has been not easy. Like no, no one in this business I don't think has it easy. They, it may look easy, but you don't know what really goes on. And, uh, but all the tough times make it so much more fun to work towards the goal and constantly keep fighting and keep going like forward. Because if it was, you know, if it was just all good and it started off all good for me and I, I don't know if I'd be here right now if it, if it kept going that good. Mm -hmm. So think about the struggles or the struggles are scars and breaks. When you break your bones, it calcifies and it becomes stronger. When you scar the skin, that skin, when it builds back, it's, it's stronger. When you, when you tear a muscle, when you get those micro tears lifting weights, it scars and, it, and it, that's how hypertrophy happens and you get stronger. So all those bad things you're going through are making you stronger and stronger and stronger. So think of the pain as though it's, it's building you and making you a better person. Thank you, Eddie. If where can they find you? I, I have a podcast called the Wadcast Podcast. If you're into like strength, conditioning, health, fitness, uh, and I also uh, I'm on the Instagram at, at Eddie Ift, E D D I E I F F T. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Eddie Ift. Thank Always you great talking to you for listening. And uh, once again, if you need to call that one eight hundred S U I C I D E. 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rating. Thank you for sharing the podcast. And we will talk to you soon.